Welcome to the Lemon Spark Podcast, where we share stories about lemons that spark a new direction in life. I'm your host, Barbara Zabala. Welcome, Bill Zafros, to the Lemon Spark Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today and your willingness to share your Lemon Spark story. Everyone, meet Bill Zafros. He is the author of the book called Poison Pen, but he is also a writer by trade, a huge baseball fan, a father of two daughters, and he has two grandchildren who live in Nashville. So welcome, Bill. Thank you. Thank you. A pleasure being here. I appreciate appreciate you having me on the podcast. Well, let's start out with your lemon. What was it? Well, I could actually pick from a couple of lemons, but the one I guess I'm here to talk about is the fact that I'm bipolar. And I suffer from, uh, I'm bipolar and I suffer from chronic depression. Throw a little anxiety in. Got somebody who has issues to be watched every day. The fact that I have managed, I feel, to recover from that, given good counseling, the right cocktail of meds, I sometimes feel I'm more quote unquote normal than a lot of people around me. So the, the lemon is battling mental illness. And I did that for probably 20 years before I realized that the problem was deeper than my just going to therapy or having, having taken a few meds. They discovered I was depressed before they realized that I was bipolar and you had the bipolar diagnosis, you think, for 20 years? Uh, yeah, at least, probably. Yeah. And this goes back to my college days. I went to Madison. The antics that I pulled off in Madison were legend. I once walked into a party where a guy said, boy, I can't wait to meet Bill Zafros. He's, he, I heard he's crazy. From a Madison partier, that's probably quite the yeah, statement. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it went back a long way. And I would go up and down and not understand why this was happening. The lows were awful. And the highs really weren't as exhilarating as people make them out to be. For me, it was almost like feeling normal when I was on the high. Uh, I did go on some sprees. Uh, when I was bipolar, I, you know, my Madison activities continued into adulthood. And during one particular, I, I actually spent some time hospitalized during one of the crashes and had a second crash. My wife was out of town. Tracy was in Orlando. I crashed badly. I woke up and I didn't know what to do. So I called an old boss of mine, my friend, Kathy, who worked with me at Blue Cross when I was doing public relations for them. I thought, well, I don't want to bother Tracy, but I'm freaking out. Call Kathy. She'll know what to do. And so I called her and she said, all right, honey, here's what you're going to do. You're going to shave, shower, get dressed and see her shrink immediately. She said, I'm going to call you every five minutes to make you make sure you're okay. That's how bad it had gotten. So she did. And fortuitously, I had a, a med check with my psychiatrist that day. And normally I came in dressed to the nines and he would always tease me. But I thought, you know, I, I'm presenting myself. I want to look nice, even for the doctor. But this time I showed up in a beat up old leather jacket and a pair of jeans and was slumped in the chair. And he looked at me and he said, are you ready to accept now that you're bipolar? And I said, yes, what do we do about it? 
And it took a couple of tries with the meds. When we finally hit on the right mix, I feel as though I fully recovered. But there are a lot of dark days in between. Sounds like you weren't willing to accept right away that you might be bipolar. No, a friend of mine, my, my best man, who's known me since the Madison days, said, oh, this is just Bill being Bill. And he said it took a while before my friends realized that there was something more than just Bill being Bill. Once I realized that myself, that's, that's the hardest part is the self-realization. Do I have mental illness? Nobody thinks they have that. Mm-hmm. They know they're having problems, but they don't really think that's the issue. Yeah. Some people are afraid to go to therapy. Some people are afraid to take meds. And, and there may be other courses you can take to overcome mental illness. But in my case, got medical attention and uh, have been good for probably 10, 15 years now. So, but it can be bad. It's a lemon. Was the spark from that lemon that happened to you? Well, uh, bipolar people love to write. And as a writer by trade, uh, I thought one day I walked past the old family Mac in the basement. It was a first generation Mac. This is going back 20 years now or so. And I said, hey, I've got an idea, as you often do when you're bipolar. You've got a million of them. I got an idea. Let's write a book. Uh, how about a book about a guy who writes poison pen letters? Yeah, that's a good idea. And I sat down and started to write. And within three months, using that bipolar high energy, I had the book. Wow. So this is a fiction novel. It is an absurdist tale. I have a very vivid imagination. This book involves a guy who does write poison pen letters for a living. He picks up a hitchhiker and winds up going on all these adventures that he doesn't want to be on. And in the end, there are drunken baboons and a kangaroo that gets scared at a funeral. It's just kind of outrageous. (laughs) But I like to think it all works. I've, told, I've heard from people who've read it that they were laughing out loud on planes. <laughs> well, that's a compliment. Yeah, yeah. So. so you are of the opinion then that if it hadn't been for your bipolar situation, that this book, Poison Pen, may never have come to fruition. It's, it's possible. As I said, I am a writer and I love to write. So it's possible that, you know, in my quote unquote right mind, I might have walked past that Mac and said, hey, I've got an idea and started writing it. But I think being bipolar on the high end gave me the energy I needed to write a novel in three months. (laughs) That's pretty. That is very impressive for anyone who's written a book. Three months is a very short time period (laughs) to write a book. No outline, nothing. Just sit down and say, okay, what's going to happen now? Oh, I got it. And we'll have a kangaroo at the funeral. That'll make things interesting. <laughs> so when did you write this book? Uh, I wrote the book in 2000. It's hard for me to pin down exactly. And I left it on a shelf. It moved with me from place to place as I moved through life. But I never thought it was good enough to show anybody. I was very insecure about it. I was introduced to Kira Henschel, my publisher, through a gentleman at church. And by the way, church was another thing that held me up a lot during, during the bad times. But he introduced me to Kira, Kira Henschel, who runs Henschel House Books. I sent her the manuscript after you know, the 16, 17, eight years, 18 years that had been on the closet shelf. 
And two weeks later, she sent me an email with a subject line that said, here comes the new Carl Hyacin. And I thought, well, that's, that's high praise. And she indicated, I knew right then she was going to work with me on it. So I asked Kira, I said, look, I was, she said, why didn't you ask to get this published earlier? I said, because I was insecure about it. I was kind of embarrassed. And she looked at me and put down her pen on the table and said, Bill, welcome to the world of being a writer. Everybody who writes is insecure about what they write. And the ones who aren't probably aren't good writers anyway. Great advice. So what prompted you to contact Kira after all these years of having the book sit on the shelf? Did Had other people read your manuscript, encouraged yeah. you to get it published? Yes. Uh, my oldest daughter, Audrey, is, is a reader who reads 100 books a year. She has great influence over me. It's really funny how, a, how an older daughter can have this kind of influence on you. But she said, Dad, you got to get this published. I'm going to bug you until you do. <laughs> so she did. And I went ahead with it. And then uh, as I wrote my second book, I said, gee, I'm kind of in a place where I, I've got a mental block right now. And she said, dad, just write. But she added an adjective in the middle that I won't repeat here. <laughs> and she was right, just right. And that's the advice I give to anybody who wants to write, whether it's a novel or a poem or a short story or just a journal, is there's always an excuse not to write. And it's easy to follow those. Just sit down and take Audrey's advice and write. So was uh, writing a book, I mean, you said you, in your career, you were a writer, you were in journalism, right. I think you said. Was it always an aspiration of yours to write a book? Well, I think, I think any writer, anybody who does writing, and particularly newspaper reporters, have in mind a book that they're going to write someday. And most of them never get around to doing it. So yeah, it had been kicking around, but it was literally the bipolar episode that made me take a look at that computer and say, sit down right now and start writing. And the idea for the book, Poison Pen, had that just sort of popped into your head or was this yep. idea something that had been percolating for a while? Uh, no, it actually, I knew myself to be a fairly effective Poison Pen letter writer. And many in corporate America might attest to that. Uh, I'm pretty good at making myself plain when I write. I thought, well, why don't you make a character who does that for a living? See where the book goes from there. The character himself is probably depressed. He lives on his couch, drinks cheap beer, and watches the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> and 60s reruns, he runs a subsistence living poison pen letter business where for $50, he says he will write a letter that will be guaranteed to leave psychic scars to last a, last a lifetime. 50 bucks. That's pretty cheap. Huh? Yeah. He just <laughs> wanted the beer, you know? Uh, so, so you had this idea for the character when you sat down and started writing after you were in your basement and passed by the old Macintosh computer that, idea had already been there and now you were just going to put it to you know pen to paper if you will or as you were writing that idea came well anybody who's bipolar knows that you get a million ideas in a day 
and 9,999,000 of them are probably bad ones. And bipolars often follow that impulse. I certainly did. But in this case, I just had this idea. It popped into my head and I thought, grab this while you can. And so I did. And that was the day that you sat down at the computer and started writing. Right. My daughters told me for three months, they, they didn't see me. I was always in the basement writing. I assume I, you took breaks to go eat. and. Oh, sleep. yeah. Yes, of course. Of okay. course. It was that. Yeah. Yeah. So then you put it aside, the book, until you got nudged by your daughter and others who must have read the manuscript. They must have found it or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was, it, I did pass it around to people I trusted, but when they said they loved it, I thought, well, they're saying that because they love me. They don't really yeah. love the book. They, yeah. I didn't take them as, until I met a writer friend, she said, I didn't trust the manuscript with anybody, but I knew her as a writer. I didn't know her well. And I thought a writer would give me the plain scoop on whether or not this was any good. She came over to my place, leaned back in the chair, handed me the manuscript back and said, dude, this needs to be published. And so at that point, I believed that maybe I had something. But you, you know, you're always looking for that affirmation. Yes. <laughs> you're bipolar or not. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then that affects everybody. Yeah. So now the book, when was it published? What year? 2019, we had a launch at the, at the Marcus Center. About 100 people showed up and paid real money to see this. It was a fundraiser for the National Alliance on Mental Illness, the Milwaukee chapter. When it was all said and done, I was able to cover my costs and I was able to write a check to NAMI for a thousand bucks. Wow. From the fundraiser. It got pretty good coverage. Jim Stingle of the Journal Sentinel wrote a very nice column about it. And I was very open with him about the fact that I was, uh, that I had struggled with mental illness for a long time, but that I was using poison pen as a vehicle for telling people that you, you'll be okay. And you can even be productive at times. Uh, sometimes, by the way, writing can pull you out of a depression because you take yourself to another place, a place of your own creation. So you know, there's that to think about, too, when you're when you're facing that lemon. Well, and, and I think there's a lot of people who, you know, when they have a lemon and they're struggling to figure out why did this happen to them and what can they do about it to make it more meaningful in a good way mm -hmm. that writing, you know, writing about it so that others can learn, I think, is a, an excellent you know way to give you purpose, give you some sense of an answer to the why this happened. Indeed. Indeed. It's, there's a lot of self-exploration that goes on. Sometimes when I read the book, I will admit that sometimes I'll read a passage and start cracking myself up and think, this is better than I thought. <laughs> but you know, as I said, I plowed through the highs and the lows because I was now in this place where this this poison pen letter writer lived, which was Hammertown, Wisconsin, a small town in northern Wisconsin. I would head off there and just be in my own little world down there. I had to throw on some music and start writing and bang, there came a book. Now, my second book, which Kira plans to publish in September, is called Serenity Heights. It's semi-autobiographical, and it does discuss some of the experiences that I had when I was hospitalized. It's meant to be funny. It's very dark humor. I joked with my friends that it's a lot different 
writing a book in quote unquote your right mind than it is when you are bipolar and have that energy, that bipolar energy. I mentioned to my wife that I might get the book done quicker if I went off the meds for a little while. And she found absolutely no humor in that whatsoever. So that was not a, that was not a method I used to finish the second book. Oh, so your spark was this impetus urge to write this book, which is now almost 20 years later published, has given you a voice for awareness about mental illness. And it sounds like, you know, you've renewed your purpose in life, which is to write more around that subject and to educate and speak out and, of course, reduce the stigma that uh, goes along with mental illness. Indeed, I make no bones about the fact, I mean, I don't bring it up at cocktail parties and say, hi, I'm Bill, I'm bipolar. But I do bring it in the conversation to let them know that not everybody with mental illness is, you know, hiding in a corner somewhere or something. I'm very vocal about it. I really want to destigmatize mental illness. And if I can be an example of how that can work, well, I'm, I'm happy to be the vehicle then. You know, I think it's really important that the message that you're bringing right now to this podcast is not only that you're raising awareness and that people with mental illness aren't necessarily hiding in corners, but people with mental illness can bring so much positive and good and joy to others through their existence, through their work, like your book, Poison Pen. You you know, it's hilarious. People have told you so. Obviously, you've made people laugh. And that in and of itself is worth celebrating and shouldn't be, shouldn't be criticized at all. In fact, it's, it's something that you should be proud of. And it was the mental illness that helped get this book out into the world. Well, then that's great. (laughs) Well, if you, if you go through history, there are so many bipolar artists that we now consider part of the Western canon that it's, or history, you would think that almost every great person in the world was bipolar. (laughs) But you go down the list, you know, Churchill and Van Gogh and, and people like this suffered from bipolar disorder. They brought something to the world using that as a vehicle to launch their, their vision. And I, I don't think we give enough attention to that. I really don't. I think we either gloss over those, those details, or we just don't bring them up as important pieces of information. Because I think knowing how talented people have used their cognitive abilities, mm-hmm. <laughs> however yeah. characterized, to bring good out into the world, I'm, we need to pay attention to that. Because I think then that helps reduce the stigma. I mean, people who may have diagnosed conditions can not feel shame, but they can feel like, well, I'm one of the, I'm one of the many people who have used their gifts (laughs) for Mm. good. And I think that's, that's something we really need to talk more about. Well, I don't hold myself up as a role model or anything, but I I do consider myself as an example of someone battled the illness for a long, long time and uh, very nearly didn't make it a couple of times. I pulled through. I just want to encourage everybody to know that they can too. They'll be okay. There's hope. Don't be afraid to talk about it with people, the ones you love. And if the ones you love are tired of hearing about it, 
which I suppose it might become tiresome to hear about your your problems all the time. Uh, I'm I'm fortunate in that I'm surrounded by a lot of people who didn't feel that way. But therapy is another another way to go. But know that if you have bipolar disorder, my guess is, and I'm not a, I'm not a doctor, but my guess is you're going to wind up on some sort of med for it, and it won't affect your life in the way you think it will. You're not going to become a zombie or something like that. Uh, you'll be okay. I mean, I feel okay. Well, and, and that's a great uh, testament to the different options that are out there. And would you say though, that if you are diagnosed with bipolar, as an example, that you have options to do something really wonderful with that? Yes. And be aware, this is one thing, this is one tricky part of being bipolar. When, when you're at your real low, I began to think that my friends and my doctors were simply working with big pharma to poison me with medicines. I had really reached a point of paranoia, and it was only the encouragement of, of my wife and my friends to say, you got to go do something about this. But in the end, it, there's there's a happy ending here. And I wrote a book. I've wrote my I've written my second book. I'm working on my third. And I'm a writer by trade. I'm able to do that. There are some what I call vestigial behaviors from being bipolar. Bipolar people like to impulse buy, for example, things like that. But you know, for the most part, I feel pretty good. Well, you are an inspiration, Bill, with all that you've done and continue to do. And I'm so grateful that you took the time to tell us your story. So if people want to learn more about you or buy your book, The Poison Pen or Poison Pen, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how can they do that? Well, they can go on Amazon. I'm currently ranked just under 2 million on the on the sales chart or over 2 million on the sales chart in terms of how far down I am in sales. But, you know, if some, some listeners go out and buy it, I may get up under, you know, maybe 1.9 million mm-hmm. on the, on the chart. I think you'll enjoy it. And maybe it's not for everybody, but I think most people would enjoy it. You can get it through Henschel House Books and Henschel is spelled H-E-N-S-C-H-E-L Henschel House, H-A-U-S, Henschel House, I'm sorry, HenschelHouseBooks.com. HenschelHouseBooks.com. Correct. Bill Zafiros, Z as in zebra, A, F as in Frank, E-R-O-S, and the book is Poison Pen. Correct. Well, thank you again, Bill, for sharing your story with us today, and I wish you all the best as you continue writing your next book and your move to Florida. Yes. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Lemon Spark podcast. If you or someone you know has a Lemon Spark story, please contact us at lemonspark.com and follow Lemon Spark on Facebook for more hope and inspiration. And remember, it's not the lemon that defines you. It's the spark. Spark.